guess I got the right one. Some of you were saying uh, you didn't want the fans on. So this is going to be a hot sermon this morning. Amen? You better turn it back on. I'll cool them down. <laughs> uh, listen, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and say this up front. You guys know me. I, I, it's pretty tight, ain't it? I'm not one to say, I'm not one to say a whole lot about stuff like ball games like last night. So I, I promise this morning I'm not I'm not gonna say much anything. I'm just gonna go ahead and <laughs> Oh boy, that was fun. I've been wait I've been waiting all year to do that. <laughs> oh man. I love you guys. I love you guys. I better watch out. I'm probably gonna eat that. We will probably see each other again come tournament time. Let's move on to some real serious stuff, some good stuff. Turn in your Bibles this morning to First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. We're continuing our study in Thessalonians. And uh, we are in chapter 3 today, so if you have your Bibles there, go ahead. If you need a Bible, there are Bibles there in the pew in front of you, so feel free to grab one. Uh, one thing you'll find if you're visiting with us, we are a Christ-centered, Bible-believing church. Yes, we actually believe that this book is God's holy word. It's God-breathed. And uh, I can assure you, I did not come to that decision lightly. It wasn't because I was raised in the church, because I wasn't. In fact, I was 25 years of age before I came to understand that this book that used to sit in a drawer somewhere next to my bed covered in dust that I never looked at was actually God's truth. 1 Thessalonians, as you know, is a book that is great to give evidence that this book is God's Word outside of, from a biblical perspective. Some people say, well, you can't prove something from itself. Well, there are a lot of extra biblical resources that, that sustain and argue on behalf of this book being God's holy word. First Thessalonians is one of those letters that proves that. We've seen that um, as we've gone through this study, went through the background information. We talked about some of the archaeological things that have been discovered in this region that... Up until that time of those discoveries, people said, ah, see, this Bible's wrong. Because it talks about these things, and those things, there's no record of those things. 1962, what happens in Thessalonica? They discover something referencing the politarchs, which is a term for city rulers. They've never been discovered. That was one of the arguments that the critic would often say, ah, see, this is why we know this scripture's wrong. There's no such thing as these city rulers named Polytarchs. Again, you'll find also, as we've talked about this in our background information, you can go back and access this online. I'm not sure if it's up online yet, but I, I'm, I'm sure after saying this between Mike and Glenn, it'll get up, Lord willing, on there. Uh, but you can go back and listen to the background information. And again, there's some rich stuff where it talks about Agalio, uh, who was uh, one of the city rulers that only served for two years according to outside historical documentation. And yet, it's referenced in these writings of Paul that this man was one of the leaders of this region, of this city, of this area. Again, these are just a few. And we could spend the rest of this day and the rest of our lives discussing these extra-biblical uh, sources that collaborate, that support, 
that never contradict, but once again reiterate that this book is not the normal book. The problem is most folks, because if this book is true, it says that your mind is blinded because there's a real enemy of your soul who wants you to not see this as truth. And therefore, we never typically go after that truth with an honest seeking. We go after it with a skeptical look, with a, I want to prove it wrong, which actually reveals the fallen heart of man anyway. So this morning, I'm hoping, if you're here, you're visiting, maybe uh, you're a long-time standing member of this church, that we will all come this morning listening, seeking, that we might hear from the author of this book, God Himself. Look in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we'll pick up uh, here in verse 1. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone, and and sent Timothy, our brother, and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation, just as it happened. And you know, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you, therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you so that He may establish your your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. Father, I pray for the Holy Spirit to lead, direct, and guide in this service. and Lord, that You help me to be able to get through this service this morning as I continue to have this cough. I I just pray that, Lord, You'd help me to speak clear. And um, again, Lord, that You would be... (coughs) exalted this morning. And so, Father, help uh, remove any distractions that our hearts may be attentive to hear from you. We'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here we are, chapter 3. And the Apostle Paul, as you know, he's he's written. He he and uh, Silas, they, they had been at Philippi. And you remember they were jailed. They were beaten. They were jailed. Uh, they were miraculously set free. Uh, the jailer, actually, who was going to kill himself because he knew he was dead, man, because all these prisoners he thought had escaped, but they were actually still there. They talked with him. He was so amazed at what had happened because he had, 
he knew that this was an act of God when this, when this earthquake hit after their singing of praises and uh, the angel had loosed them from their chains. And so he falls to his knees and says, what must I do to be saved? They end up sharing the good news of Christ with him and how he might be saved and he ends up his household gets saved. They find their way to Thessalonica and in Thessalonica they run into more opposition. You've got Paul, you've got Timothy, you've got Silas. And all they're doing is trying to come into town and tell some good news. Can you imagine? You go to work tomorrow, you go to school tomorrow. Man, I got some good news. You know, you just get beat up with some rocks, a few sticks on your back, kicked out into the street, yelled, told off. Get out of here with that garbage. Don't be telling us that. That's kind of what happened here with these guys. They're bringing the news of how you can be forgiven of your sin, how you can be made right with the Creator God, how God Himself enrobed in the flesh and came to give you redemption, to give you eternal life. What's more precious than life? I mean, think about it. What's more precious than life? And yet Christ offers eternal life. And so they're here in town to tell the good news that there's a way. And it's through the person of Jesus. And they did as was normally custom. They started in the synagogues and they would open up the scrolls because, see, these guys had the foundation of the Old Testament. They already believed the Old Testament prophets. And Paul's trying to tell these Jewish folks, look, you crucified the Messiah. Look in this book. Look in Isaiah 53. And who is that talking about? It's talking about the very one you crucified. Look at Psalm 22. It's talking about the one you crucified. And he goes through this. Time and time again when he goes into towns and goes into the synagogues. He reasons, he persuades, he presents evidence of who Jesus is. Some believed and they established a small church there and they were meeting daily in this house of Jason, this guy named Jason. They were having Bible studies. They're talking about the scriptures. They're talking about who this Christ is. They're talking about and instructing and helping, helping these new believers to grow. Eventually, you know, some of those Jews and some of the others in town did not like the fact that Paul, Timothy, and Silas had brought this information here. So they get this gang stirred up in the marketplace. They go to Jason's house. By this point, Paul and Timothy are not there. They drag Jason and the other church members downtown to, to the politarchs, to the city rulers. They end up putting them in, in, in and hold them for a while. And then they make this decree and say, all right, look, no more of this. Paul and Timothy, they end up slipping them out. They make their way to Berea. And they do the same in Berea, going to the synagogue. And what happens? Thessalonians find out they're in Berea, so they go over there and cause problems with them over there. So Paul goes to Athens. They settle in Athens. He's so anxious. And it started here in verse 3. He says that, that therefore when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in, left in Athens alone. And sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish and encourage you. So what happens here? Paul says, well, hey, I'm going to go ahead and send Timothy back. I just, I, I stands all I can stand. I can't stand it no more. He's got to send it back. He wants to know what's going on. Because these, these are new babes. These are new believers. These are people who have just recognized the veil has been removed from the blinders have been removed. And now they see... Jesus is God incarnate. 
Jesus did come that I might have life and have it abundantly. Um, David Jeremiah has told this uh, in, in his uh, preaching on Thessalonians. He, he mentioned about a guy in his church. He said, some man approached him in his church and he said, Pastor, we don't just need some spiritual obstetricianists. We need some spiritual pediatricians as well. And that's a good point. It's a good quote because, see, what happens oftentimes is in the church, we're real good maybe about sharing the good news. We're sometimes good about evangelizing and telling the lost about their need for a Savior. And sometimes people respond to that message. And they see their sinfulness and they see their need to be forgiven of that sin. And they receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. And a lot of times, though, we're good about, at that point, saying, okay, welcome to the family. We've delivered the baby, but there's no pediatric care. There's no discipleship. There's no taking them under our wing and really following up. And, you know, we've been talking on Wednesday nights about this new... Uh, outreach to our community. And, and again, I hope you're praying about it. If you're not praying about it, please get on board and praying for this. That God will really supernaturally lead us, direct us, establish us, encourage us in what we need to do to reach this community with the gospel. But one of the phases that's required in this to make sure that it works and works well is that we have some spiritual pediatricians. We need some folks to help disciple. And guess what? It can't be just the pastor and his wife. I will say this, we are doing that. Me and my wife both are are discipling and working with individuals one-on-one and discipling currently. And I know some of you here are already doing that as well. And I want to commend you and encourage you to keep doing that. But some of you, we need your help. We need you to be willing to take someone under your wing especially as we go into the community and we may reach some folks with the gospel and they may respond. And guess what? They're going to need someone to help them, to help encourage them. Paul was not satisfied to have these people saved, chapter 1 of Thessalonians. He wasn't satisfied to just have them saved and nurtured, chapter 2. We talked about, remember he used terms like a mother and a father. He wanted to see them established in the faith. Able to walk, chapter 4. We'll see, Lord willing, next week. After all, Warren Wiersbe says this, After all, a child must learn to stand before he can walk. You see, this is why Paul's writing. This is why Paul here in chapter 3 is saying, Look, look, we sent Timothy to you. Because we realize you're, you've just been delivered. You're newborn babies. Probably maybe three weeks old in the Lord. And so he's, he, they got ran out of town, so he's real anxious. He's, can you imagine Paul's thoughts? I mean, I'm sure he's thinking, man, you know, there's all these false teachers. And there's all these people. That, I mean, that's a major hub. The Ignatia, Via Ignatia Road came through there, uh, bringing the east to the west. This Roman road, this very popular road. Where, this was the central hub. I mean, this is where all the commerce and, and all these charlatans were coming into town because, see, Paul already answered some of those accusations in the earlier passages that maybe Paul was just like them. He was just there to make some money 
or he was just there to do this or that. And so he's already answered this claim. So you can imagine he, he's, he's saying, you know, what, I'm sure he's thinking these things because I know the heart of a shepherd. And I know sometimes how I can get anxious over folks when I haven't seen you in a while. How, how sometimes uh, that desire to see you grow in the faith, though I know I can't make you grow in the faith, I long for you to be hungry and thirsty for spiritual substance. So, this morning I want to speak to you from this passage about a house not so easily shaken. A house not so easily shaken. And, and we must disciple to help new believers. And that's what this passage is all about. Paul's desire to disciple these new believers. And Community Baptists, we need the same fervency. We need the same passion. We need the same drive. We must disciple to help new believers. Be, number one, established in the faith. That's the first thing we need to do. We need to see these folks established in in the faith. Verses 1 through 5. Notice what he says. We'll pick up in in verse 2. They sent Timothy, our brother, minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you. You can underline that. To establish you. This is the foundation. You know, if you're building a house, one of the first things, uh, my understanding, you're going to need to do, you're going to need to put down a foundation. Now, we're speaking in general terms this morning. Don't any of you technical guys that do this for a living come up and say, well, pastor, technically you got this part wrong right here. Okay, all right, work with me, folks. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a house builder. I'm not an engineer. I'm not, okay. <laughs> so I'm not a carpenter, my, my father-in-law. Okay, I'll hear it when I get home. Um, we're speaking general strokes here, broad strokes. Established. A foundation. It actually means establishing. It means being, bringing into being on a firm or stable basis. A firm or stable basis. And, and so what did Paul do? He, he sent Timothy to help. To help establish. To help lay this foundation. Why? Well, because he knew there would be problems. He knew he had already been ran out of town. He knew that these were young believers. And so look what happens. Verse 3, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Huh. That word shaken, you know what it literally means? It means to wag the tail. To wag the tail of, of, of a dog. Now, I don't know about you. You've probably seen... I was always taught growing up that if you see a dog, one of the first things you look for is, is the tail wagging. Now, for you people that sniff the tails, shame on you. Because I don't know if I can pet your pet or not. Sometimes you see that little nub going <laughs> you know, back and forth. Okay, I can pet this one. But I know there's been times where I've seen that tail wagging. Oh, it's a friendly dog. You've been there. You walk up to it, and by the time you get to it, that, dog, that tail stops wagging. It starts snarling. Okay. Not going to be petting this one. And here's the idea. Paul's saying, look, I know some of you are easily shaken. Be careful because, again, there's, a, there's an idea in this Greek word here that gives this indication of flattery. Flattering words. And probably what's happening here is some of these Jewish folks 
who had lost some of these people out of the synagogue, some of these Gentiles, because this is a predominant message to the Gentiles, were getting into this house church, were beginning to grow and be established in the faith. And so some of these Jews, some of these pagans, some of these folks that were losing parishioners, if you will, were no doubt trying to wag the tail. They were trying to find flattering ways to, oh, you know, everything's going great over at uh, the synagogue. Yeah, y'all should come back. We got a potluck uh, barista going on this weekend. You know, we got uh, some coffee and we got beans. It's a a coffee bean. It's going to be a grind. It's great. Come join us. I don't know. It's real kosher. You can come. And, and, and so they're finding ways to flatter them, to try and get them to come back. Not only that, they were suffering. There was tribulation. Hey, I mean, look, what do you think? Paul's already told them. His example, he came from Philippi. He had the scars on his back. They saw how they were treated when the angry mob came after them. So Paul's telling them. He says, look... Um, No one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. And we talked about it the other week. I said, can you imagine if I gave an invitation at the end and I said, who wants to receive Christ? Who wants to have their life turned upside down, possibly hated by family and friends, uh, persecuted by all those former friends that just think you're crazy? Uh, How many of you want to really be persecuted for living after Christ, following after Christ, desiring to, to live a holy life and be made fun of and called a holy roller and et cetera, et cetera. If you'd like that, please come forward right now. We'll show you how you can receive Christ so that can happen in your life. You don't hear a lot of those invitations, do you? But the reality is that, and we gave this illustration, when you're walking and going the way of the world and you're relying on your own understanding, and that's the way we do, well, I think God's like this. I hear a bit of information here. I watch a little A&E history and get a little, you know, false, foolish information from some guy who has a Ph.D. in front of his name who's as anti-God as they can be, so he's coming with a presupposition to find any and every avenue and angle that he can twist and manipulate to make you think Jesus never existed. And that sounds good, so I'm going to add that to my creative mind. And I think God's like this. The whole time I'm going with the stream of the world. That's easy flow. That's easy flow. But if I ever come to the place where I recognize that I'm guilty, that man as a whole has rebelled against God, that we actually live in a sin-cursed world. It's a sin-infested world. That's why you've got a beautiful rose with a thorn. That's why you have a beautiful sunshiny day that can turn in a moment to fierce tornadoes that rip havoc through the lives of people. That's why you have joy and bliss and happiness that can be stolen away at the hands of a criminal who rapes and kills. You see, we live in a fallen world. So if someone comes to that point of of understanding that Jesus Christ came into this world to save mankind and He's offering me the gift of true salvation to be forgiven of my sin, 
that drives me to a place of, hum- of humbleness and brokenness that I want to cry out to the Creator of God and say, God, forgive me. I didn't know I was walking in ignorance. I was foolish. Forgive me of my sin. I put my faith and my trust in Christ. Now guess what? Now I'm going upstream. And that's hard current. Because a lot of times that does mean I've got to, sometimes it means I've got to die to self. Sometimes it means I've got to give up certain things that one time gave me pleasure. But I look at God's word and God says, it's wrong. Now I've got a dilemma. But I love it. But it was fun. But God says it's wrong. But yeah, but God, I, 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 you know, this, this doesn't seem right. I mean, I'm not hurting anybody. But this is wrong. You see, that's a tough current sometimes, isn't it? And that brings persecution. It brings some because people go in this direction, out of the way, bonehead, you don't know what you're doing. You're a moron. You know? They're floating downstream, headed for a waterfall. There's a way into man that seems right. There's a way that seems right. It seems right. But the end's destruction. It always leads to death. So, Paul is saying, look, I've sent Timothy because you need to be established in the faith so that you're not easily shaken. That, that, look, when you suffer, and by the way, that word suffer, it's like grapes in a wine press. I mean, you know, it's messy. And sometimes if you get, it, 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 quite frankly, most times when you receive Christ, when you come to Christ, You can expect suffering. In fact, I don't think we should expect anything less. These guys that stand on TV and tell you about prosperity and about, oh, if you'll just come to Jesus, life's going to be so much better. It's going to be a cakewalk. And and if you're living right, then you're going to have an abundance of, of wealth and blessing. Those are lies. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that if if you desire to live holy, then you can expect persecution. And so that's what Paul's telling these people. He's saying, look, uh, I don't want you to be so easily shaken. He says, you yourselves know that we were appointed to this, for in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation, just as it happened. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are, are, are you're right now, you're in, you're in some tribulation. You're suffering. You're facing types of persecution. Can I give you some encouragement from God's Word? Because see, Paul sent Timothy not only to establish, but also to encourage, which we're going to look at as our second point. But let me just tell you this. Praise the Lord. He selected you. You've been chosen. You say, well, that's not one I signed up for, preacher. <laughs> but you know what? Isn't it kind of cool when you stop and think about it? By the way, Peter and John in Acts, when they were, they were beaten, they were told not to teach them Jesus' name anymore. Um, they actually counted it a privilege because they realized God has allowed them to partake in His suffering. And did you know that every time when you suffer, Because you've done right, you are in essence participating 
in the very suffering that Christ endured on the cross. Because Christ did nothing wrong. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. And what did they do to him? A guy who loved, a guy who healed, a guy who taught nothing but good. Look at the person of Christ. Again, I, I know we're here, there's a big audience here. This is, you know, there's a lot of different views, a lot of different... But you know what? It doesn't matter views and perspective. The truth is, investigate Jesus, the true Jesus of the Scriptures. Not the Jesus of the liberal uh, theologian, but the true Jesus where the evidence points. If you want a reference source, I can tell you it's been already, the homework's been done for you and collaborated and put into one book, other than the Scriptures, obviously the most important book, but also the new, new evidence that demands a verdict. It's a very heady book, but you want all the evidence and claims of who this Christ is, there's a good place to start. Bottom line is, if you look at the person of Jesus Christ, you will see who He is. Perfection. And that's exactly what we need if we're expected to stand in the presence of Almighty God. And I can tell you, I'm not. And I can probably assure you, you're not either. <laughs> and therefore, we need His righteousness. So we need to be established in the faith. That's why Paul sent Timothy. We also need to be encouraged in the faith. And if you're suffering trials and tribulations, be encouraged. God has selected you to endure such hardship. Think about it. When you establish the, the idea of laying, a, a laying down the foundation, now encourage, it means to come alongside. It's like the walls. Hey, we've got to come alongside you. Be right there beside you. And when we encourage someone, we should be coming alongside them. When we have a new believer, we need to come alongside them to help them, to grow them, to answer their questions. One of the biggest things that happens with new believers, and for those of you who have made a profession of faith within the past two years, you know what I'm talking about. Satan will sift you. Satan will come after you. He will turn his target on you because he can no longer get your soul. If you truly have been bought with a price, if you belong to Christ, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Read Romans 8. Nothing. No principality, no power, no angel, no death, no life, nakedness, peril, tribute. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. He has you in His hand and no one is stronger than the hand of God. But you know what Satan will do? He'll distract you. He'll sideline you. He'll try and stunt your growth. That's why a lot of times these isms come in. You know who the biggest, the, the biggest, um, the most members of, of the cults, most members of the cults come from Bible-believing churches, Baptist churches. Christian churches. What's happened is someone got saved and instead of church family, church members, because they're, they're expecting the pastor to do it all by himself, folks aren't coming alongside the new members, these new believers, to encourage them, to walk with them, to help them, to grow them. And so guess what happens? Satan shows up at their door. Yeah, we were out popping willies in your front yard. And uh, 
We'd like for you to, some of you got that, some of you didn't. Some of you are tired of that joke because I give it every time. But anyway, it's the only one I know. If you got a new one, let me know. We'd like for you to, we'd like to talk to you about the Bible. And all of a sudden, that wagging tail, that flattering lip, those cults are sharing what seems to be good, seems to be truth, and after all, they're using the same book. And they lure those newborn babes into that environment. And that's why a lot of, a lot of these cults, um, that's why they're growing. So, what do we need to do? We need to establish them in the, in the faith. We need to encourage in the faith. Notice um, what happens here. Uh, encourage means to stimulate by assistance. And um, we see here that, notice in, in verse 6, by the way, encourage in the faith, verses 6 through 8. Look in verse 6. Here's what it says. It says, uh, but now... But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. You see, there's concern. And there should be concern for new believers. We need that concern. Uh, Verse 7, he says, Therefore, brethren, in all our afflictions and distress, so we were comforted concerning you by your faith. You see, these Thessalonian believers... They were actually doing well. Paul sent Timothy back. Timothy was able to work with them, help them. And now Timothy has come back, because Paul at this point is in Corinth writing. And he goes to him and, and tells him, Man, you're not going to believe, man. Well, hey, those believers over in Thessalonica, they are really doing good. In fact, their testimony, you remember this in previous chapter 1. I mean, everybody's talking about those Thessalonican believers. I was going through such and such village the other day, and they said, yeah, man, we've heard what's going over on Thessalonica. Praise the Lord, that's good. I, yeah, I heard that they, they turned from their, their idols. They gave up some of those things. Again, look in chapter 1, it talks about it. And he says, you know, hey, man, they're doing good. They're growing in their faith. Paul is encouraged. He went from this, you know, man, I, I, I wonder, has the tempter tempted them? I wonder if they've fallen away from the faith. I mean, I'm not there. I'm not able to really instruct them. And I only had three weeks with them. And, and so maybe they just did, you know, maybe uh, did, did it click? Did they grab hold of it? Are they growing? Have, are they like that? Jesus spoke of the seed being put into the soil. Some of it fell on good soil. Some of it fell on rocky soil. Some of it grew up into the thorns. And, and I wonder which one they are. Were they good soil? Or, or is there no fruit? I can't, I can't stand it no more. Timothy, go. Go check on them. So Timothy's checked on him, and he's come back. And now he says, all these things that maybe were concerned, he addresses. He says, now that Timothy's come to us, he's brought good news of your faith and love. And that you have good remembrance of us. You know, sometimes that happens. Sometimes when, when things aren't going our way and Satan starts to sift and tempt, one of the first things you do is you point to the leadership. And you start complaining and griping and moaning, well, that pastor, blah, 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 blah. Or, or that, you know, boss, blah, 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 or whatever the case may be. And, and even Paul expresses that here. He says, look, you always have good remembrance of us. So that's good. That sets his heart at ease that this has not happened, that Satan has not crept in and planted those thoughts. He's, they're obviously doing good. He says, greatly desiring to see us. 
And, hey, as we also want to see you. Verse 7. So we speak of uh, being encouraged in the faith. You talk about concern. Now look at verse 7. You see comfort. He says, Therefore, brethren, in all our afflictions and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. By the way, if you want to go through, go through here at some point on your own, circle how many times it references faith. It's like five different times. I and mean, it's a pretty common theme in this passage. So he says uh, that, that we were comforted concerning your faith, by your faith. He, because of what they're doing, how they're living, how they're growing, this is bringing great comfort. Church, as we begin to canvas this community, as we begin to see souls saved, as we begin to see people trust in Christ, we're going to need to disciple them. And I can assure you there is nothing more encouraging and comforting than to see someone begin to grow in Christ. We're working with some folks. I told you earlier, my wife and I, and I can tell you it thrills my soul when they talk about the things of God, when they ask questions about the things of God. That tells me that's where their heart and their mind is. This is important stuff to them. And that's what Paul's experiencing. Concern, comfort. Now look at the cause. Verse 8. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. Hey, this is our cause. This is our purpose, church. What is our purpose? Why are we on this planet? What's the meaning of life? Do you guys think about this? This is really cool. We know the meaning of life. We know the whole reason we're here. We know the whole purpose of our existence. Not many people know that. Many people have spent their entire life searching for the meaning of life, never to find it. Do you know if you're here and you are a true born-again believer, you understand the veil's been removed, the blinders are off. It's clear, it's plain and simple. You see it for what it is. You understand life. What it's about. We know that we exist to bring glory to our Creator. We exist to bring glory to God, to honor, to exalt, to praise Him. By the way, those of you years back, you sat in our John Piper study. Let's just imagine... For a second. God is going to give you the greatest thing He could possibly give you. If you were standing before God and you knew that God was going to give you the greatest thing that He could give you, what would it be? Somebody, this is where you can interact. What would it be? Himself. The greatest thing God can give you is Himself. And what did He do at Calvary? He gave you Himself. I mean, do you all understand it? Do we see this? Do we really get this? See, God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son. And that whosoever shall believe in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The greatest gift God has ever given is Himself. Christ came into this world 
and he gave himself. And whosoever will, let them come. This is the message that Paul and Timothy and Silas took to this area and they got beaten for it. They got ran out of town for it. That's why some of you are made fun of and laughed at and, 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 and you're the morons on the block because you believe this archaic book and you think this... Is it anything odd that this is happening to us? When you look at God Himself emptying Himself of all of His attributes taking on the, the, the lowest form that he could take on, because he could have come as a slug and it wouldn't have been as low as a man. Paul sent Timothy to establish him in the faith. We must disciple to help new believers be established in the faith, to be encouraged in the faith. Notice, third and final point, to be equipped in the faith. Verses 9 through 13. Verses 9 through 13. Um, Take a look at the text. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God. Paul's saying, wow, man, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Look, these believers at Thessalonica, they're growing in the Lord, and that excites me. Church, you know what excites your pastor? When you mature in your faith. As you are growing in your faith. As you're desiring to live in a way that exalts God in every aspect of your life, not just on Sundays, not just at the end of the night when I say my good night prayer, or not just in the morning when I say my good morning prayer, or not just in that time that I might open that Bible and just read a few passages and go on about my business. Your life. I beg you, brothers, I beg you, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable. It's your reasonable act of worship. Living a life day in, day out that, that points people to Christ, that shows that you're growing, that shows that you're maturing in your faith. You're desiring to know your Creator. You're desiring to know Him in that intimate relationship that He is desiring you to walk in. So we're equipped in the faith. Uh, and by the way, if you're still building this house, we've already laid the foundation. We put the walls up. Now we're going to finish framing it. We're going to finish framing it, all right? And I know this is where some of I lost you, but that's all right. Frame is perfect. Notice this word here, what he says in the text. For what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sakes before our God? Verse 10. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see you, see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. That word perfect you see what Paul's saying? He said, look, look we, need to, we need to finish framing this house, this spiritual house. That word, it, it gives this idea, uh, it, it's, it, it's a Greek word, katarizo. It means to fit, to render, complete. It's been translated, have been framed. It's used, by the way, this word is connected with two other words used in the New Testament. I want you to hear these words. This is from Ephesians 2.21. In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Ephesians 4.16. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You see what Paul is talking about here, the idea in using this word to perfect you in your faith, doesn't mean to make you perfect, but it does mean to mature you, to make you complete, to grow you up 
And so what Paul is wanting Timothy to do when he goes there is, is to establish them, to lay that foundation, to encourage, to build up those walls, and, and, and to equip them to finish framing. Uh, and, and so he, he's, he's trying to establish this, this spiritual home to grow them. And that should be our desire, church, with new believers, with those of, that are in our midst. Some of you have been, you've been knowing the Lord for years. You've never really been discipled. You've never really grown in your faith. Some of you are spiritually at the same level you were 20 years ago. That should not be so. We need to daily and actively seek the face of God that He might perfect us, that He might complete us. And by the way, He's the one who completes the work. He who's begun this good work in you will complete it. Um, And that we can be confident of. Notice this, verse 11 Now may our God and Father Himself, Himself, now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. You know, God's going to be the one to direct our steps. I talked about earlier, for some of you, you're just like me prior to age 25. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 taught me something huge. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. See, God needs to direct our path. And as we move towards this outreach, God's going to have to be the one directing our steps. Paul knew when he sent Timothy, that they needed to recognize, the Thessalonians needed to recognize that it's going to be through God's Word, it's going to be through God that, he, they, that they're directed. Notice verse 12, And may the Lord make you increase. Who's going to make them increase? Who's going to make us increase? The Lord! But you know what? He desires to do it. The Lord wants to give you the desires of your heart. That's Scripture. Here's the thing, though. He desires to give you the desires of your heart when your heart becomes His desire. You see, we've got to line up under Christ. We've got to be stop going our direction and go God's direction. And as we begin to do that, we'll begin to line up under the will of God, and therefore, it's His pleasure to give us the desires of our heart. Because why? Our heart changed. Our heart changes. The things that used to be important to this pastor are not so important anymore. You know what is important? Seeing people be redeemed, see people saved from, from an eternal damnation, to see lives transformed and changed, to see a drug addict be set free from the bondage of drugs, to see a prostitute get off the streets and surrender her life to Christ and begin to live a holy and pure life, to see marriages healed, to see families put back together. These are things that can and do happen daily as people line up under the direction of Christ. Paul's telling them, the Lord will make you increase. Notice, there's, notice this, uh, this kind of step-by-step instruction. Look at verse 11 real good. You can underline this. Check this out. Now, May our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus Christ, number one, 
direct our way to you. All right, let's, let's, let's look at 12. I'm sorry, go to 12. My bad. Verse 12. And may the Lord make you increase. Number one, the Lord make you increase. Number two, abound in love. That He may make you increase and abound in love one to another. And that He may make you increase in love, abound in love one toward another and toward all men. You see, it's all right there, and that's often how it happens. The Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God. You see, at the end of the day, it's God's work. At the end of the day... Unless God does the work in the heart, we who labor, labor in vain. So I want to ask you, as we close this out, I want you to think about this. Verse 13, he says, To the end, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Church, God has given us His blueprint. A baby must first crawl, then stand, before they can walk. We must help disciple new believers, newborn babes, to help build this house of faith. We are like Timothy. We too have been sent, number one, to establish, number two, to encourage, and number three, to equip. Will you help in doing that? I can tell you right now, I've got people that need someone to come alongside them. Quite frankly, I've not been able to do that. And some of you know, I, I've, uh, in some ways, I've failed some of you in coming alongside you personally. I can't do it alone. And especially as we begin to cast a net wide and deep and begin to pull it in, it's going to take a community. It's going to take this community, Baptist Church, to come alongside of some of these new believers and do these things. If God moves on your heart to help in some way in this, would you let me know? Because we're going to need, this is an area where we're going to need folks who are willing to disciple. Look, I've got material that will help you to keep you on track because I believe what Paul's talking about here with Timothy is doctrine. They had to be grounded in truth. And if you look back in verses in chapters 1 and 2, you'll see not only were they, they were growing in the understanding of who God is and His truth through His Word, but they were investing their life. And that's what it's going to take. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the time this morning and I thank You for this group. Lord, thank You for Your Word. It is true. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, I realize in a crowd this size there may be folks here or maybe some listening via the radio that do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior.
Yeah, maybe they know about Christ. Maybe they've heard stories. Maybe, maybe they were even raised in church and, and have heard some of the claims, but quite frankly, they, they've kind of, in their own understanding, outgrown that. Lord, speak to me. Help them to understand. They're not sitting in this church today just because somebody invited them. No, someone was sent to them. From you. And they may not have even known that was their reason for going or inviting. But Lord, use whatever means it takes to draw these hearts closer. And if there's questions, let them ask. Let them ask the right people. Those that know you. That they might be able to share the words of truth and life. And Father, if there is anyone here today that has never turned from their sin, they've never acknowledged, admitted that they are a sinner, that they have transgressed your law, they have, in essence, rebelled against their Creator. Maybe just in simply denying you. Lord, may they turn today in repentance and humble surrender to say, God, forgive me, for I am a sinner. And may they look to the only person, the only name given amongst men by which they can be saved, the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that if they believe in the heart that God raised Him from the dead, and if they'll confess with the mouth that Jesus is Lord, they'll be saved. Lord, let them look to You. You said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You said, if anyone comes to you, you will in no way cast them out. And so if there's anyone listening via the radio or anyone here this morning, I pray they come to you and surrender today. Receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. You said, as many as received Him, to them you gave the right to become the children of God. And so, Lord, if someone is doing that even now, give them the assurance that they can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they have been bought with a price, that they've been forgiven of their sin, and that they now have a communion, a relationship through Jesus Christ to you, Father. Their sin is forgiven. They're made whole. And may they be encouraged after they've been established to know that if therefore any man is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And behold, all things are becoming new. Give them new direction. God, you direct them. You begin to take them by the hand and lead them upstream no matter how hard, no matter how difficult. And may they know that you will never leave them and you will never forsake them. And you will complete this work which you've begun in them till the end. Thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you again for your word. And Lord, I just pray you go with us now. Help us uh, throughout this week to face the afflictions and the tribulations and the challenges. But may we do it 
rejoicing and the joy knowing that we belong to the King, the King of kings and Lord of lords. We ask it in His precious name, in the name above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.